Yo, yo. I go by the name I'm of Pharrell from the Neptunes, and I just wanna let y'all know I'm your pusher. The world, the world is about to feel something that they never felt before. Come on. Ghetto to ghetto, the backyard to yard, I sell it with one whip, it's off the hard, I'm the neighborhood pusher, call me subwoofer, cause I pump bass like that jack, on the off the track, I'm heavy cuz, ball to your fathers, you can duck to the fatty gloves. This episode of DFS MVP is sponsored by Draft, a daily fantasy app where your chances of winning are over 200% better than on other DFS sites. On Draft, you can do a simple snake draft for one week whenever you want. A draft takes just minutes to complete. Download Draft now. Be sure to enter the promo code 444 to get a 100% deposit bonus. Thank you for tuning in to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 444 Football. I'm 444 Senior DFS Editor Chris Raybon, joined as always by my guy, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What's going on, TJ? What's up, Chris? Just getting ready for another week. We're almost three quarters of the way through, so hopefully we can make uh, some people some money down the stretch. Would you say we're grinding? Yeah, I think that's uh, an appropriate term. Yeah, because that was the name of the song that played us in by the clips off 2002's Lord Willing. Remember this song, um, hearing it for the first time and just going nuts. Like the beat was just out of this world. And I can't even believe we haven't done this song until now. Yeah, clips, the Deptunes. Uh, kind of right when I, I kind of found out about Pharrell when I was in high school. I know I'm aging myself a little bit there, but definitely a big fan of the clips. Absolutely. Pusha T is still killing it. We have a great show for you guys today. Our DFS theory segment will be on tournament contest selection. We have some great tips on how to maximize your ROI by intelligently choosing which tournaments you decide to enter each week. So make sure to stick around for that right after the picks. Let's talk about the 4 for 4 Championship. You guys can go and sign up for that by going to the 4for4.com homepage and there will be a the DFS drop down and you'll see the 4 for 4 DraftKings Championship Qualifier link. And what you can do is you can enter every week until week 14 to qualify for the week 15 final and you can also win cash prizes and 4 for 4 swag every week. Again, the championship final is in week 15. Everyone who qualifies gets paid, and the grand prize is $2,000 and five years of free 4 for 4 subs. So some awesome prizes, so make sure you guys go to 444.com and enter the 4 for 4 DraftKings Championship now. Congratulations to Chris J. Ferraro, who finished first place in the qualifier last week. His lineup scored 218 points flat. Marcus Mariota, I feel like he's in every single one of these winning lineups every week. I feel like I'm just saying Marcus Mariota. Uh, Marcus Mariota, DeMarco Murray, Darren Sproles, Stephon Diggs, Dontrell Inman, Jordy Nelson, Delaney Walker, David Johnson, and the LA Rams. Like the Mariota Murray Walker stack, we've talked about this numerous times, but you can stack a quarterback and a running back and a receiver, and on days when the offense goes off, you're going to be 
in a really good spot. So like that move. Stephon Diggs only 6.9% owned, 13 catches for the second week in a row. That was another key play. And then Jordy Nelson, a little surprised he was under 10% owned, but of course he was part of that game stack with the Titans. That's another thing we talk about a lot and have written about over the summer. So Chris J. Ferraro did a lot of good things in this lineup, and it was a great lineup. So congrats, Chris, on the qualifying seat. Again, you guys can sign up for the 4 for 4 DraftKings Championship Qualifier by going to the DFS dropdown on top of the 4 for 4 homepage, and you'll see the link. You can qualify for the Week 15 final and win all kinds of cash prizes and 4 for 4 swag every week until the final. The final is Week 15. Everyone who qualifies gets paid. Grand prize is $2,000 and five years of a free 4 for 4 DFS subscription. Let's jump right in to our quarterbacks for week number 11. I'll start out with Andrew Luck. He is 8,100 on FanDuel, 7,200 on DraftKings at home versus the Tennessee Titans. The Colts have an implied total uh, hovering around 28 points. It's 28.5 in certain places, 28 in others. Over-under is hovering around 53 Luck is our projected QB2, and John Paulson always sitting in those top five of the Fantasy Pros rankings, so always notable when Paulson has a guy projected super high. The Titans are ranked 24th in 4 for 4 signature metric, which is schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks, and Luck accounts for 75% of the Colts' touchdowns as well as 81% of their yardage. TJ? Yeah, there there are a lot of plays I like in that game, so I'll be targeting a lot of Tennessee uh, and, and Indy guys. Uh, my quarterback this week is Kirk Cousins at $7,600 on FanDuel, $5,800 on DraftKings. The Washington Redskins are favored by 2.5 points in a game with a over under over 50, giving the Redskins an implied point total over 26 points. The Packers have allowed four three-plus touchdowns touchdown games to opposing quarterbacks this year. Uh, over the last six weeks, Green Bay's allowed the second-highest touchdown rate of any defense on the main slate. And even though teams uh, haven't thrown a lot against Green Bay in the red zone, only 41% of the time over the last six weeks, uh, Green Bay has allowed a touchdown rate inside the 20 of 40%, which is the worst in the league. Uh, I think that if you just look at, at the overall stats versus quarterbacks, Green Bay looks uh, kind of average. But, I mean, a couple weeks ago they faced a combination of Brian Hoyer and Matt Barkley, uh, where the Bears just put up a horrible game through the air, some early season games against Bortles and Bradford. So uh, their their season-long numbers are a little bit distorted. Uh, I really like the Redskins here. Their, their offensive line has been one of the best in terms of uh, adjusted sack rate. So I think Cousins will have a lot of time to sit back and then pick apart this Green Bay secondary that uh, – Really, I don't. I mean, I don't know if you can name two of their starters in the secondary. You're doing a. You're you're, you're pretty impressive. 
I mean, we got Ladarius Gunter, Quentin Rollins, Micah Hyde, haha, Clinton Dix. We know the guys, but they just haven't been good. Uh, Kirk Cousins has scored over 18 FanDuel and DraftKings points in all but two of his games, so I like to call there. My key stat is Marcus Mariota averaging 3.16 total touchdowns per game over his last six games. He has had multiple touchdowns in every game over that span. Uh, my key stat is so far this year there have been 62 uh, instances of a quarterback throwing three or more touchdowns, and six of those games have come against the Cleveland Browns, most in the league against any defense. Yeah, so speaking of the Cleveland Browns, we talk a lot, or at least I talk a lot, about Ben Roethlisberger's home road splits, the Steelers averaging about 10 more points per game at home than on the road since 2014, but these Browns are really bad. Any hesitation to deploy Big Ben in all formats this week on the road in Cleveland? No, I'm not, I'm not going to let the, the home road splits um, uh, get me off the Steelers here. I think we're uh, this is a spot where this whole offense is really in play. Uh, Efficiency-wise, volume-wise, any way you cut it, any way you look at it, Cleveland's just giving it up uh, to opposing offenses, so... I'm I'm loading up all my Steelers this week. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes we tend to overthink things. Like I know that I last week, you know, I didn't wet the quote unquote keep away Cowboys or their slow pace or whatever keep me off the Steelers, and it paid off. And I think this is another situation where even though at first glance you might hesitate a little, um, the matchup is just amazing, and the team is desperate. I believe they've lost four in a row. They're going to come out firing. and they're not going to take it easy on the Browns in Cleveland. So. Definitely agree with you on that one. Let's move on to running backs. LeGarrette Blunt, 7,300 on FanDuel, 6,400 on DraftKings. He is at the San Francisco 49ers. Blunt has scored a touchdown in eight of nine games this season. The only time he didn't score was the Jacoby Brissett start when the team got shut out. The 49ers have allowed a rushing touchdown in each of their last seven games. Blunt is coming off a three-touchdown performance last week against the Seahawks, and they are a defense that ranks fourth in 4-for-4's schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Uh, So now, Blunt gets to take on a 49ers defense that ranks dead last in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. So Blunt should make it 9 out of 10 games with a touchdown. TJ? Yeah, Blunt also uh, leads all running backs on the main slate on touches inside the 10-yard line over the past six weeks, has 18 of those touches. So uh, New England's going to be moving the ball pretty much at will, which will mean a lot of a lot of goal line opportunity for Blunt. Uh, my running back, and there's some, some high-end guys that I really like, but uh, a guy that I do want to point out is a value guy, CJ ProSize, 4900 on FanDuel, $4,200 on DraftKings. Uh, last week, you, you mentioned the Seattle-New England game. Uh, we saw ProSize amass 24 touches for 153 yards. Uh, Christy Michael got released this week, which means Thomas Rawls is going to be back in the mix. Uh, but we're not exactly sure what Rawls' workload is going to be. Pete Carroll's kind of suggested that he'll see a quote-unquote uh, significant role. But I just think that uh, in a spot where they don't need to rush him back, back where I think that... Uh, with the NFC being that it is, Seattle has looks like they have a pretty good shot at, at a first-round buy, and I don't think that 
uh, in a game where Seattle's favored by six and a half if they do get up like expected against Philadelphia um, then I think there's there's no purpose just to throw Rawls in there and give him a ton of work and Philly has been pretty good against running backs but that's more in the traditional sense we saw Procise uh, he got seven of his seven targets last week for 84 yards so even if Philly um, is is strong against traditional running backs which again would point towards more, more Procise than Rawls um, we know Procise is a converted wide receiver that can just be really active all over the field Key stat, Mr. Ezekiel Elliott, 148 or more total yards in six of his last seven games. And in the one game that he didn't reach 148 total yards, he scored two touchdowns, which is essentially almost the same as 148 total yards. TJ? Uh, my key stat, staying in that Pittsburgh-Cleveland uh, game from, from my quarterback key stat, Pittsburgh has allowed 5.75 yards per touch to opposing running backs, which is the most in the league, and they've allowed the third most receiving yards to opposing running backs. Yeah, and they all came last week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so speaking of Pittsburgh and Zeke and all these guys, you mentioned you like a lot of high-end guys. How are you treating Bell at Cleveland, you got Zeke going against Baltimore. Then you got DeMarco Murray at Indianapolis, which is probably the best matchup of the bunch. But then David Johnson is the cheapest, uh, but he's at Minnesota. How are you approaching your, I guess, GPP exposure to those guys? I think Bell will probably be the highest owned. Um, so what are you doing there? Yeah, that uh, I'm, I'm really tempted... Uh, I don't know how inflated his ownership's going to be, but um, after last week, I'm pretty tempted to make Zeke my favorite uh, play in that game just because I, I really like Dallas against Baltimore. I like the Dallas defense, and I like pairing up the running back with the defense when I have a chance to. Uh, Baltimore, I just mentioned uh, yards allowed through the air to opposing backs. Baltimore's actually allowed the most receiving yards to opposing running backs in the league. Uh, Bell's floor is phenomenal and he has as high of a ceiling as anybody. Uh, I think that Tennessee, uh, we could see them spread their scoring out a little bit more. Um, I think Zeke's my favorite GPP player of that bunch, but it's close. That's a tough one. All those guys are obviously fantastic. Um, fantastic backs. Most of them in good spots except for DJ. Yeah, and I should have actually thrown in... I think LaShawn McCoy is probably my favorite um, GPP back. Like, he's... If you look at McCoy's stats without that one game Mm -hmm. where they foolishly played him with the messed up hamstring and he had eight carries for 11 yards, McCoy's averaging a little over 20 touches, about 114 yards and one touchdown per game, which is essentially on par with the rest of those guys. And I'm sure his ownership is going to be super low and he's the cheapest of the bunch. So I really like him. But of those four, I think I'm going back to DeMarco Murray. I feel like every week, every week there's at least one or two stud backs that overshadows him. And every week, DeMarco just does his thing at like a, a little bit lower ownership. And I, I mean, the Colts defense is is really bad against the run. And, you know, DeMarco, the Packers were supposed to be a good run defense in the first play of the game last week. Murray goes 75 yards for a touchdown. So Murray's probably my favorite player out of the four, but I think McCoy is my favorite kind of stud running back play, leverage, pivot, all that good stuff. Moving on to wideouts. Odell Beckham Jr., 9K on FanDuel. 
8,500 on DraftKings versus the Chicago Bears, who rank dead last in 4-for-4s, schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. That is a very dangerous mix. Odell Beckham, in his career at home, is averaging 7.1 catches, 111 yards, and .95 touchdowns away only 6.2 catches, 84 yards, and .76 touchdowns. So Beckham just has everything going for him on paper. He's hot. The matchup is good. He's averaging 10.1 targets per game, which is sixth in the NFL. And he should hit double digits again this week. Chicago's front seven has been rounding into shape. A little worrisome just because the Giants' offensive line isn't that strong, but... Um, at home, the Giants, just with Beckham's talent alone on those quick slants and things like that, um, Beckham should be able to eat regardless. And the Bears are, because of that strong front seven, kind of turning into a, a pass funnel unit that I think we thought they were going to be early in the season, but then everyone on their front seven essentially got hurt. So really like Beckham in this spot. And then going down in salary a little bit, Dante Moncrief. I will continue to play him when he's priced in the 600s, um, 6,000s, excuse me. He's 6,500 on FanDuel, 6,100 on DraftKings going up against the Titans. He scored, not counting the Week 2 game this year where he left after 9 snaps because he got hurt. Moncrief has scored a touchdown in 8 of his last 11 games with Andrew Luck. He is going to be their top red zone target, Dorsett and Hilton are smaller receivers and the tight ends are kind of splitting snaps. And when you're looking at touchdown scores, you got to look at the implied point totals. Indies is hovering around 28, as I mentioned before. So I think Moncrief has multi-touchdown upside in a game with a an over-under of 53. There's a lot of shootout potential here. The Titans are 18th in wide receiver schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. TJ? Yeah, uh, I mentioned with running backs that there there are quite a few top-end guys I like. I like quite a few top-end uh, wide receivers this week as well, too, but I wanted to, to highlight a couple uh, more value plays this week. Uh, Julian Edelman's still a little underpriced, uh, in my opinion. He's 6100 on FanDuel, $6,300 on DraftKings. Since Tom Brady came back this year, Julian Edelman ranks 8th among uh, all wide receivers in target share. Uh, San Francisco's allowed the third highest touchdown rate through the air over the last six weeks. And over the course of the season, they've allowed the most uh, touchdowns to opposing wide receivers. And then we saw them last week um, in a similar spot where they were really expected to to get manhandled by the opposing team. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald, who lines up mainly in the slot, 12 for 133 on 18 targets. So uh, I do like this spot a lot for Edelman. I think he could go overlooked just because some of the, the more popular names or, or bigger name guys um, also have really good matchups. And then uh, moving really far down for uh, kind of more of a pump play, um, but a guy that, that I think is interesting this week is Pierre Garçon, who is $5,700 on FanDuel, $3,900 on DraftKings. And this is going to be a little bit contingent on uh, Deshaun Jackson's health, uh, dealing with a rotator cuff. And he practiced today, but uh, Jay Gruden said that he he kind of went on a, a long rant about how Jackson needs to be fully healthy and really needs that full range of motion. So um, it didn't sound like they're, they're really confident in Jackson being back. And even if he does play, I think it might hurt Crowder a little bit more than it hurts Garcon. Uh, we saw Garcon get 10 targets last week with a healthy Jordan Reed back on the field. 
Uh, seven targets in four of his last five games. Leads Washington in target share over that span. And uh, one of the top uh, top values on our DraftKings value report, if we look at dollar uh, per average target, he's also the top value on DraftKings. So a little metric that I always kind of like to look at on my own. Uh, I really like Garcon as a sneaky cheap play this week. Yeah, and going back to Edelman, he actually has a 25.8 percentage target share in the red zone and 26.7% inside the 10-yard line. So more than greater than one of every four passes in scoring range are going in his direction. And he only has one touchdown in the red zone. But eventually, I think that will regress. You know, he's shown the capability to score touchdowns, especially with Tom Brady at QB. So I like that. My key stat is something you guys probably saw me tweet Earlier this week, Jarvis Landry has one touchdown, one, on his last 89 reception. I'm going to be more positive with my key stat. A.J. Green is the only wide receiver with uh, overall target share and a red zone target share over 30% uh, over the last six weeks. And we mentioned Stephon Diggs uh, for a second earlier. 13 catches in back-to-back games, career high in targets each of the last two weeks with new offensive coordinator Pat Shermer. How do you feel about him this week against the Cardinals? They're talking about shadowing him with Patrick Peterson. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one because, uh, I mean, Peterson can definitely um, have a really negative effect, but... I kind of just mentioned that dollar per target metric. Uh, Stephon Diggs leads Fanduel in that metric, and it's just when you get that kind of target volume at even a little bit of a discount, it's it's a really hard spot for me to pass up. And uh, I just, I mean, Minnesota struggling so much on the ground, not much outside of Diggs and Rudolph. So I think I just take the volume there and uh, and, and roll the dice a little bit. I, I go the other way. To me, it's more of an easy fade. I mm-hmm. feel like. There's a couple of things. First of all, the Minnesota Vikings have a really bad offensive line and no running game. So already, I feel like Stephon Diggs' chances of getting into the end zone are diminished. And then if you take Stephon Diggs out of that offense, like I don't even see how they move the ball at all. So, you know, I, I think it's I think the Cardinals are really going to be able to focus on him. And I think this is kind of how the, the ebb and flow of the NFL goes. You know, new offensive quarter coordinator comes in they kind of change up the game plan start using digs in the quick passing game and it's successful for two games but now along comes a team that has the personnel to um defend it and I, I think we've seen Stefan Diggs you know get really hot we saw this last year where he got really hot and then he kind of cool, suddenly cooled off um so just you know all those factors um this week just because I do think his ownership is going to be a little higher than it should for a player that will be in Patrick Peterson's coverage um to me that's that's pretty much a fade like I probably I probably won't have any um digs at all this week I'm just gonna you know it could burn me honestly because like you said TJ the volume is there and I could see him still getting up there in receptions on maybe some some quick screens bubble screens like that and you know ending with like nine ten catches but I, I just don't I just don't know how the um the yardage or the touchdown I don't like the yardage or the touchdown upside so uh, to me, that's that's going to be a fade. Um, TJ, what do you think about Jordy Nelson, another shadow situation, or possible shadow situation? Jordy Nelson p- potentially could see 
a lot of Josh Norman. They do line up on the same side most often, but Jordy Nelson has played a lot of slot snaps over the past three weeks in this new spread out offense. And I, we have seen the Packers kind of game plan around a corner. I think it was an opening game of 2014 when they faced the Seahawks and they kind of just put Devontae Adams out there on Richard Sherman and let him die and, and kind of move Nelson around, got him in the slot. So how are you approaching, I guess, the entire Green Bay passing game, but specifically Nelson this week? Yeah, I mean, my my thing about Nelson this week is that uh, I think Green, I mean, Green Bay is already a team that's really favoring the pass and then I think this game really sets up for a shootout and uh I mean even though Nelson is getting getting the targets his calling card this year um and really pretty much uh his whole career with Rodgers has been his red zone targets his red zone usage and I think there's just going to be so many scoring opportunities and he's dominating uh the red zone looks so much getting such a high volume that his touchdown upside is maybe unmatched by any wide receiver uh in the league right now so it's really hard for me not to have any shares of Jordy. I mean, I, I don't think that uh, just given the the top end matchups this week, I don't think you need to jam in mid tier cash games. But there's just way too much touchdown upside for me to fade him. Even I mean, even if he does see half of his snaps against Norman. Yeah, I'm I'm not too worried about it. Um, yeah, especially because, like you said, I think even if he winds up on Norman in the red zone, I don't think that's necessarily a matchup that he loses every time. I think he can win some of those matchups. So, yeah, again, yeah, no cash game exposure for me, but I'm fine with him in tournaments. His ownership will probably be low just because people are kind of thinking about Norman. And at the same time, maybe Adam's ownership is a little too high. I'm not sure how that's going to go, but um, I don't know. I don't know exactly how I'm going to approach it. Some weeks when there's just a lot of question marks in the Green Bay passing game, um, I just tend to avoid it completely and just go with Aaron Rodgers naked and, you know, see, see where that, see where that kind of takes me in my lineup. But, um, I haven't, I honestly haven't decided yet, but let's move on to tight ends. What will probably be the chalk play this week, because it does not look like Rob Gronkowski is going to suit up after taking that vicious hit from, uh, Earl Thomas last week on Sunday night football. Martellus Bennett is 5,200 on FanDuel, 3,700 on DK, and a lot of people might have not even noticed this, but he's actually the tight end seven in terms of points per game on the season, even though Gronk has been in the lineup uh, for about a month. So Bennett is getting a 22.6% red zone market share, 20% inside the 10. Again, if Gronk is out, you know, those numbers could go up. And I think Bennett is a really good bet for a touchdown, given that the Patriots implied total is above 30 and the 49ers, according to our signature metric, uh, schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. The 49ers are a below average team defending the tight end position. They rank 18th. TJ? Yeah, I mean, extrapolating stats this way can be a little dangerous, but uh, since Tom Brady returned, Gronk and Bennett have combined for 60 total targets, 11 red zone targets now. That doesn't mean Bennett automatically gets two or three red zone targets and, and 11 targets, but uh, I mean, we do know that, that Tom Brady likes to use his tight end, so I I just 
don't see myself like that's not a overthink it spot or anything like so much Bennett for me this week. But uh, if I'm not going with Bennett, a guy that I really do like this week is Delaney Walker, $6,400 on FanDuel, $5,700 on DraftKings. Uh, over the last six weeks, Walker leads all tight ends uh, on the main slate, at least in red zone targets. Tops on the main slate and target share, seven plus targets per game over that span. Uh, I mentioned earlier that this is a game I just kind of want a lot of all around. Indianapolis ranks 28th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing tight ends. And I think a lot of people are um, a little drunk on the Richard Matthews juice, but he's been so touchdown dependent. Like, yeah, he has seen 20% of the uh, team's targets the last two games, but his targets. Uh, over a little bit of a longer span, five or six weeks, have been a little more volatile where walkers have been way more steady. And, and Matthews has just been so touchdown dependent. He's converting his red zone looks at an uh, unsustainable rate where um, walkers kind of just doing exactly what we expect him to. So I really like Walker um, as my main guy to pair up if I have Mariota this week. Yeah, I think this matchup just sets up really well for the strength of the the Titans because the Colts rank 29th in quarterback schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed then 28th uh no 29th against running backs as well and then 28th against tight ends and so you have your Mariota Murray Walker I I like the stack of all three of them and I do agree with you I don't think this is a game to stay on the Matthews train um I do think he'll be uh, somewhat of a consistent factor going forward in the offense. I was reading a report by a beat writer last week that I actually tweeted out ahead of last week's game where they talked about how the Titans are just a lot more confident in Matthews and they're moving them around a lot more. And so I think, you know, that that is a positive sign going forward. But in this game, I do think the game plan centers around uh, Murray and Walker. And I mean... Matthews will probably see some Vontae Davis um, because he moves around, maybe not as much as he would initially saw if he was more stationary. But yeah, I do agree with you. I think this is more of a Walker game uh, than a Matthews game. My key stat, Jordan Reed is the only tight end averaging nine targets per game this season and only seven tight ends even average seven so Jordan Reed getting a lot of volume he's actually only uh, $200 more expensive than Delaney Walker on drafting so that's also a pivot to think about TJ yeah I like Reed a lot uh my key stat in three of his last four games Eric Ebron has seen at least eight targets and he has caught at least five balls for 69 yards in each of those games yeah, man, I actually just tweeted about Ebron a second ago, too, and I was just thinking about him because he's averaging about five, 5.3 catches, 63 yards this season, which is really good for a tight end, but only 9% of the targets inside mm-hmm. the 10-yard line, so he only has one touchdown on the year. Now, I think, you know, this DFS is a forward-thinking game. I think that is going to regress. I think he's going to see an uptick in red zone usage. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, we, we saw his production uh, kind of not what we expected early in the in the year, um, and, but he's came on of late. Uh, we saw Baldwin, Baldwin uh, I'm sorry, Bolden getting a lot of those red zone looks uh, early on. I think a lot of people 
saw Marvin Jones early and then Tate come on strong. And I think Ebron's flying a little bit under the radar. So he's a guy that uh, he could be really, really sneaky if not this week, then in uh, next couple weeks coming up. Yeah, and he's a home favorite too. And that usually is a good sign for tight ends. On the other side of the ball in this game, Julius Thomas, what do you do with him? 47%, 55%, and 53% of snap uh totals in the last three weeks hasn't gone over 28 receiving yards in the last three weeks he got 10 targets last week and scored a touchdown but he only got 24 yards but the the lions are one of the best matchups for tight ends they're 29th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight end so what do you do with julius my concern with this game is uh i think people are are still like detroit's still bad the secondary and they're still bad against tight ends but they were so incredibly bad first three or four weeks of the season that uh it really threw off their their full season numbers that they're still bad but they've came kind of back to to earth a little bit in terms of allowing touchdowns to quarterbacks and touchdown rate and red zone touchdown rate um I mean, it, it really looks like Bortles could have one of those garbage time weeks, uh, garbage time production. We saw so much of it come last week, but I think I still would rather. I think if I'm targeting anyone, it's Allen Robinson on this offense this week. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you there. The, the Jags have been playing this other tight end Koyak a bunch, and it's going to be super tilting if Koyak gets into the end zone instead of Thomas. I mean, unless you want to just go and play Koyak. Um, <laughs> but, and, and I agree with you. I don't think the Lions are quite as bad um, as they were early in the year. DeAndre Levy was practicing for the first time in a while, so he might be back. He's their best linebacker in all facets, so that can only help covering a tight end. So I'm not too enthused about Thomas. I wouldn't be surprised if he caught five balls and a touchdown, but probably not too much, if any, exposure there but hey guys do you play daily fantasy we're guessing you do because you're listening to this podcast and if so you should be playing on draft get this your chances of winning on draft are over 200 percent better than on the other dfs sites if you're not a pro and not spending hours a day on fantasy you should be playing on draft you'll win more often it's statistically proven on draft you do a simple snake draft just like at the beginning of your season-long league you can do drafts whenever you want They last for just one week and take only minutes to complete. I have draft on my phone and I just did a 10-person draft, got Odell Beckham with my number one pick, and I'm about to do another one. Join me. Download draft now. Be sure to enter the promo code 4 for 4 that's the number 4, the letters F-O-R, and the number 4 when you download and you will get a 100% bonus when you deposit. Again, download the draft app and enter promo code 4 for 4 now. Uh, kicker, TJ? Uh, my kicker this week is Steven Goskowski. Uh, Patriots are the biggest favor of the week, 13-point favorites. They have the highest implied point total of the week, almost 32 uh, implied points. Goskowski is the top value on the FanDuel lineup generator. San Francisco ranks 31st in kicker-adjusted fantasy points allowed. And this is only the second time all year that Goskowski's priced under 5K. We know those uh, on FanDuel, that range is really small, so paying up isn't too bad of an idea. My defense is the New York Giants. They are 4,700 on FanDuel, 3,500 on DraftKings. They're a seven-point home favorite against the Chicago Bears. And this is just one of those matchups where 
when you plot it out and you look at the players on both sides of the ball, I just don't see how the Chicago Bears are really going to move the ball in this game. The Giants have been playing really well at cornerback. They have two cornerbacks in the top seven in PFF grades and Rogers Cromartie and Janoris Jenkins has really been lights out. The Bears are not going to have Alshon, Jeffrey, and then the Giants have been pretty stout against the run, 3.6 yards per carry allowed. Um, so that should force the Bears into these kind of unfavorable down and distance situations. We have no idea what the Bears are doing with their backfield. John Fox is making up phantom injuries for Jordan Howard. So now we don't even know if he's going to get a full workload. And he's clearly their best running back. So, you know, if the Bears are in kind of these unfavorable down and distance situations, well, then it falls on Jay Cutler and he's taken 13 sacks fumbled five times and thrown four picks in four games this season so I just think the Giants off defense excuse me has a lot of upside in this game I'm not sure exactly how the the Bears are going to move the ball too much so I could also see you getting some of those bonus points for uh, points allowed in this one our DFS theory segment let's get into that it will be on an interesting topic, GPP game selection. In other words, which GPP contests should you be entering? How do you go about determining that? Me and TJ are going to talk you guys through our process in determining which GPPs that we enter on a weekly basis. And there's a number of factors that come into play. So, uh, you know, the first thing is obviously, or one of the most important things is the rake. And of course, that's just, you know, how much money is going to the site uh, for letting you play. And TJ, I know there are some differences in rakes and GPPs between DraftKings and FanDuel. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so all of these factors that we're going to go through are, are uh, just things that are, are really important to note, especially um, especially if you're you're really trying to take this game seriously. We've we've talked in the past about uh, game sh- game selection, um, cash games versus GPPs. We've even got into uh, the different types of, of cash games, but I think uh, people kind of get a little bit lost when when they go to enter GPPs and. Uh, there are a lot of factors that that we look into, and a lot of times uh, you kind of you're kind of splitting hairs. There isn't a huge difference that uh, that's going to sway you one way or the another, another. But then um, there are instances where we see pretty big differences, and and those could really sway you to play uh, certain games. And rake is one of those things. And for the most part, on both FanDuel and DraftKings, it, it varies depending on your buy-in. But every once in a while. Um, you'll find a, a low rate game and uh, you should really be paying attention to that. And all of these factors you should really be checking every single week because uh, one of the, I think one of the things that people fall into is uh, they, they sign up on their favorite site, FanDuel or DraftKings, and they find their favorite tournament. Maybe it's a, a single entry at a certain buy-in level or a five max or whatever it might be. They, they just find their favorite game and then they stick to that game, not realizing that these structures are changing every single week. These sites are 
running them through whatever algorithm tells them they, that they should be doing, where the money's going, and the prize pool's changing, uh, first place is changing, how much uh, money's going out is changing. So uh, just because you play whatever, the Hail Mary every week, um, it doesn't mean you're, you're putting your money in the same spot. So you should be paying attention to this stuff. So uh, just to get into rake, uh, basically that's the, as Chris explained, that's the money that the site is taking out of the prize pool. Um if on FanDuel, uh, we don't see too much variance in rake from if we're just looking at the featured games on the main slate from the $1 level all the way up to the $25 level, uh, the site's taking 15% of the money out of the prize pool. So if um, if it's a uh, if it's a one thousand dollar uh, one hundred thousand dollar guarantee, that doesn't mean the entire prize pool is one hundred thousand dollars. That means after they take fifteen percent of the buy-ins, hundred thousand uh, dollars. Once we get up to the fifty dollar level, we see the rake right around twelve percent, um, and then when you get to the really high stakes, three hundred and above, we see it ten percent or lower. And then on, on DraftKings, it's a little different. Uh, Twenty-five cent up to the five dollar level, we see a fifteen percent rake. Uh, $7 to the $33 level, right around 13%. Uh, 50 to 75 we see about 12%. And then $100 and above, we get less than 10%. So uh, when you can't afford to move up in the stakes, even if a structure might not look fantastic, anytime the site's taking less money, uh, that's a good thing for us. So we should be going through and, and really checking these things out. And uh, if we do find spots where the site's raking less, like FanDuel runs this beginner huddle contest every week that you go and play if you qualify as a beginner, that game only rakes 10%. Um, that's really important. That's a big thing to notice. And if you're a beginner and other people don't qualify, like you're theoretically making money just by entering that game instead of another game. So one factor to, to think about when you're entering gpps yeah that was an excellent excellent explanation of that i really encourage you guys if you didn't catch that all the first time i know it might have just sounded like tj was explaining a lot of complicated stuff but that those last three or four minutes um that was really important so um the next thing want to think about when you are entering gpps is of course the upside and this is a thing that i think most people probably think about first and that's probably not the right thing to think about first i mean depending on your goals and your bankroll and exactly what you're trying to do but your upside which is essentially you know the top prize and just you know how how top heavy is the payout structure um at the top is it is it the top prize you know i know sometimes there i think in the millie maker for example sometimes there will be like the top prize will be a million but then the second place prize will be only a hundred thousand which is only 10 percent of that where as you have certain other tournaments like maybe the sunday million on fanduel i think the top prize is uh i mean i think it varies but it's i think it was it's like 200,000 or something or 300,000 and then the second prize is like 200,000 which is a totally different structure in ter- even though the, the buy-in levels are the same or close to the same totally different payout structure so the, you're you gotta you, you want to know your upside but you also got to realize okay what are the chances of me actually getting this upside because that's that's part of measuring the upside so if there is 250,000 people in a tournament, which, you know, Millie Maker usually around that on a, on a normal week when there's not like a $444 entry or a $3 entry or something like that. It's usually around 250,000 entrants. 
you know, your chances of winning that million are one divided into 250,000. So you, that, that needs to be calculated into, into like, you know, you need to know your upside, but you also want to know your chances of, of hitting that upside. Just like when we talk about an individual player and a ceiling, we'll say, okay, you know, he went over 25 points in four out of his nine games this year. So, you know, you all, you don't want to just know the upside. You want to know your probability, your odds of hitting that upside. Um, TJ, you want to take it from here and talk a little more about upside? Yeah, I think one mistake that people make when they're entering GPPs is they open up a lobby and they'll see a tournament and it might even be the same uh, a prize pool as a different tournament. There might be two um, two tournaments with, say, a $100,000 prize pool, but in the lobby, they'll have it highlighted or in parentheses or next to the name of the game, something like $25,000 to first place. And uh, like that's... Uh, like if they're trying to sell that to you, um, you should probably be weary because uh, that game might be getting raked higher. Um, there might be a lot less people getting paid out, and we'll get into that. Uh, so the the upside is something that, yeah, it, it could be attractive, but it also could be a little bit of a trap. And I think uh, one thing to, to think about is kind of like perceived upside or a lack thereof. I mean, in one of those games where um, – you know, you're looking you're looking to play for big upside, right? And maybe you you want to turn your twenty twenty dollars into twenty five thousand dollars. So you see you see that game with twenty five thousand dollars up top, and then maybe um, I don't know, maybe five thousand dollars goes to to fifth place or something like that. So you might see that and think that game has more upside, but if that five thousand dollars, and this is kind of repeating what Chris said. If, if you have to beat, say, 100,000 people to get that $5,000 in another game where $5,000 goes to first place, but you only have to beat, say, 1,000 opponents, um, like your chances of getting that $5,000 are a lot better. So you might actually have more upside in that field with a smaller uh, first place prize. So that's just something to think about. Just because there's a big number up top doesn't mean that your long-term upside is necessarily as good. Yeah, that was a that's a really great point. You know, that's a that's a really great point. Like it bears repeating. Like if first place is five thousand dollars and you have to beat two hundred fifty thousand, you know, I mean, have to beat only a, a thousand people versus you know, you needing to beat two hundred fifty thousand people to get you know up to the five k prize pool range even if that's not the top prize because the top prize will maybe be more but you know it's a lot better to just play in the smaller um the smaller gpp you know that it's just like think about it the same way you would think about a a player in a matchup where you could have a a a really bad player going against not a bad player but an average player going against a really bad defense and he might actually have more upside in a given game than a stud going against you know, Richard Sherman or somebody like that. So it's all about, you have to gauge your opponents and you you should take some time every week to kind of calculate your chances of winning these big prize pools and not just say, okay, well, this, this tournament has more upside because the top prize is bigger because yes, it has more absolute upside, but your chance of winning it is so infinitesimal and there you know there's going to be other people there's a lot of good dfs players like even if the majority of the field is is novices or newer players or people just throwing in suboptimal lineups there's still going to be good players in those tournaments and those tournaments are usually 
150 or max entry or something like that, which is another thing that we should talk about, which is you also want to look at the amount of max entries when you enter a tournament. Because if you only have the bankroll to play, you know, three, five, 10, 20 lineups in a tournament, you might not want to enter a tournament where the max entry is 150 because those are the tournaments that we're kind of talking about where they have these huge top-heavy prize pools, but you're going to have to beat so many people just to hit the level of a first-place prize on a smaller GPP that may have a three-max entry or a five-max entry or something like that. So you should, you know, depending on your the amount of entries you need, you should definitely be um, factoring that into the the equation, you know, and, and that's that's another really important thing. Now we could talk more about, you know, should you even be, you know, how should you be doing max entry or not in a second? Um, I also want to get to another important thing, which is the percentage of the field that is paid, because that's another important thing in a GPP. What percentage of the field is paid? Sometimes it can be, you know, close to twenty five percent of the field is is being paid out. Sometimes it's a more top-heavy GPP where it's more like 16, 17% of the field is being paid out. And I've seen GPPs even lower than that. So you really want to know what percentage of the field is being paid out. And not only that, but also what is the minimum cash? So some some GPPs, you know, say it's a $5 GPP, the minimum cash will be $7.50, whereas some, some of them it'll be $10. And, and then, so you always want to be calculating, you know, what is my expected value? And you're going to have to compare these GPPs and you're going to find these major differences. And there's no right or wrong answer necessarily, but you should definitely be aware of, you know, what percentage of the field gets paid? What is the minimum cash? What is my expected value um, given this entry fee, um, entering it in GPP A versus GPP B? Yeah. So I want to touch on a couple points that you uh, brought up there, mainly the the payout structure uh, in terms of what percent of the field is being paid and uh, what you make if you min cash, because uh, this could really, these are the ones that can have a direct effect on your bottom line, like very obvious direct effect on your bottom line. um, And also some something that you should be paying to depending on uh, what your your GPP strategy is. So um, I'll start with the min cash. And this one is really important, especially if you're someone that's really trying to grind out a steady profit. Um, If you're someone that's only playing a few entries each week, if you favor something like three max or a five max game, uh, and you're only making those couple of GPP lineups each week, um, on a week to week level, level, uh, you're going to have a potential for a lot more volatility and your uh, end of season results are going to reflect a lot of the uh, quality of of lineups and more of um, you being able to decipher those uh, those few lineups that you make so if you are only playing say three lineups a week and you're picking between a tournament where if you only min cash you uh, multiply your money by two and a half uh, compared to a tournament where you only multiply your money by one and a half if you min cash, uh, that could, those could have drastic effects, especially if you're playing. I mean, if you're playing 33% of your GPP money in, on a single lineup, that's something you really want to be paying attention to. I mean, if you're playing 150 lineups in a one dollar tournament, maybe that might not be as important, but could still really have an effect on your bottom line. Um, the percent of the field that's being paid is something that. 
is I think it's very obvious, but it gets overlooked very easily just because it, it doesn't show up uh, just by clicking on on the on the site. You just see how many uh, people are in there, and then you see how many uh, how much money is being paid, how much money is going to say first place for the guaranteed prize pool. But you don't really take the time to think about how many people are, are being paid out. And if you're choosing between a a tournament where 30% of the field is being paid out and 20% of the field is being paid out. Think about that if you're max entering. Like, you can, like, a, a huge chunk of your lineups can cash or not cash because of the game that you decide to play. And if you're not paying attention to that, um, you're really costing yourself a lot of money. So, on FanDuel, that percentage usually hovers around 20%. And if you find something that uh, varies from that, then you either found a very bad tournament or very good tournament. So something like the Sunday NFL dive at the $1 level, that game pays out 30% of the field. That's a game that even though the field is huge, you are you only you have to be in the the 30th percentile compared to the 20th percentile with most games. So that's a really good spot if you're playing small stakes and are looking for some uh, some big upside. And then there's a game like the the Sunday spike at the five dollar level that's only paying out 17 percent of the field. Like that's a pretty big difference and should even have an effect on how you're building your your lineups depending on how many lineups you're playing. On, on DraftKings, that percentage varies um, pretty wildly. So there, there isn't really a standard percentage on DraftKings. And that you might even argue that it makes it more important to go through and calculate all these because there's games where less than 20% of the field's being paid out. The majority of contests pay out about 27%. But again, there are a lot more GPPs on DraftKings. Uh, they have games like the Double Bubble that are paying out 40% of the field. But that also has an effect on uh, how much upside it has, how much, how thin the, the prizes are being spread out. So uh, that's one factor that I think gets sorely overlooked but is the easiest one to go in and, and calculate and figure out um, what your chances are of cashing. Yeah, those are great points. Just the same way that we talk about cash games versus GPPs and the different lineup construction that goes into each. Well, you can forget about cash games and just look at GPPs and just depending on the percentage of the field that gets paid and the payout structure in terms of what the min cash is and how top heavy it is, there you could almost look at it the same way where there's like a cash game version of GPPs where you kind of have, you know, a higher percentage of the field gets paid. Maybe the min cash is a little lower and the the grand prize is also a little lower. That's more like a cash game where you could probably, you don't have to go as super contrarian with, with some crazy lineup where you can just kind of play your player pool that you feel confident about and, and, and make, you know, lineups that, that, tend a little more in the cash game direction whereas if you're choosing to play a gpp where it's less of the field is getting paid out like tj said maybe 17 percent or something like that and maybe it's a really uh, lopsided payout structure where it's very top heavy then that's where it's a lot better to then, you know, put some of your crazier lineups and play that low owned play that, you know, doesn't make you feel good, but you think he has a chance. Like, because you're going to be rewarded for that. You're not going to be rewarded for that, you know, top 25% tile lineup 
if you're entering GPPs that only pay out 17, 18%. So just like when you're thinking about cash games versus GPPs, in GPPs, there's different levels of volatility that you should seek in your in your lineup creation. And that kind of brings me to, again, as we always talk about when we start to get into these DFS theory segments, what are your goals? You know, for me, there there's... I have two kind of modes when I'm playing GPPs. Like one mode is kind of the way TJ is talking about where I'm trying to, you know, get great value and, you know, kind of find some GPPs with lower max entries and more flatter payout structures that pay out more of the field. And then there's also the mode where, okay, sometimes I want to just mass multi-enter. And when I'm really, you know, going to use like the four for four lineup generator, I'm going to tell it, you know, build me 150 lineups and I'm going to, I'm going to pick my player pool out and I'm, I'm going to, you know, tweak my exposures, but then I'm going to let, you know, my lineup generator generate me a hundred lineups or 150 lineups. And I'm going to throw that into kind of, uh, you know, a more, probably a lower stakes tournament, but with a lot of top end, upside that maybe doesn't pay out as much of the field because in this situation I'm just kind of hoping for one of my combos to really just go nuts and and hit it big and I want that top end upside and I'm kind of okay with you know okay this is you know this is low stakes you know I, I have a ton of lineup so usually when when you do that if you have a if you have a decent week you can usually still break even you know you know even if you're not perfect in those in those kind of weeks even if you don't win big but you know if you're I'm guessing that most people listening are still on the end where they're not necessarily playing 150 lineups in GPPs or anything like that. So if that's the case, then again, just go back and from the start when TJ started talking about just how to maximize, you know, how to look for these these valuable GPPs where there's a decent min cash and the payout structure is a little more flat and a large percentage of the field gets paid and you don't have to beat a ridiculous amount of people to get X amount of money. Look for those GPPs, spend some time um, trying to calculate it. You know, it won't be too much work because you're going to be constrained to certain entry fees most likely anyway. So you're really just comparing a few different tournaments at a few different entry fees. So it shouldn't be a a super uh, big task to undertake, but it will be really valuable on your bankroll. And then, of course, you could still enter, you know, those tournaments where there's a lot of upside, but maybe, you know, you only put one or two entries in and you just put your most contrarian lineups in because you're probably going to need something like that in a a field of, you know, 100,000 or 200,000. You're going to need one or two contrarian plays um, to hit, you know, something's going to happen that's going to be off the radar that, and someone's, someone's going to need to have one of those players that goes off that most people didn't think about in those big fields. Whereas in some of the smaller GPPs, you know, if you look at some higher stakes GPPs or some lower max entry GPPs, you'd be surprised at the winning lineup. Sometimes like you'd be surprised the players that aren't in the winning lineups. Like I think I saw G I think even in the Millie maker this week, because it, they, they bumped it up to 444 dollar buy-in with the, you know, a smaller field. There were like the winning lineup had JJ Nelson at, you know, 3.9 points and it, it didn't have Zeke Elliott or even though he scored, you know, 40 something. So in these higher stakes or, you know, lower max entry or, or just, you know, the certain different GPPs, depending on how you're going, 
it's not going to take necessarily as much to win as it does on these you know three dollar one dollar three dollar five dollar gpps where there's just a field of you know hundred two hundred thousand people yeah and uh i mean you talked about going uh mass multi-entry versus uh just building a few lineups and uh yeah definitely that comes down to goals like you mentioned but uh one other thing if if you if bankroll isn't a, a big concern and you have a lot of options the the process that i go through each week is and i don't necessarily do this uh in any order but the the two major steps that i really take is i go through everything that we just talked about looking at all these different factors in terms of how much the field is getting paid if there's uh, any game with that's just a phenomenal structure and uh, if there is a game that stands out then um, I, that just might just be the clear favorite and I'm just gonna that's gonna be my GPP strategy for for the week so uh, a few weeks into the season on DraftKings the the slant at the nine dollar level was just such a better structure than every single tournament on the slate even though it was a nine dollar buy-in. I'm just max entering this tournament because this is the best value on my money this week. There's nothing else that I'm going to play. Uh, sometimes there aren't uh, those clear values. Sometimes everything's kind of close and you, you kind of have to decide. Uh, the other factor I'm going to think about is how do I feel about my player pool this week? And uh, this is where you kind of take the science out of it. There's a little bit more feel and having confidence in yourself. But uh, there's some weeks where... There's a very small player pool that that I like, and and I don't feel like if I'm if I'm making 150 lineups, I might kind of just be forcing these combinations that might be suboptimal. And then there's other weeks where my player pool is massive. Well, I think that situation is kind of obvious. When I have a very small player pool, I'll favor these higher buy-in, uh, smaller max entry games. And if my player pool is huge and I just can't figure out how to narrow it down, I might just kind of dial back my cash games and just play some max entry, 150 max games. Yeah, I agree with you. I do pretty much the same thing in staying on that same point i think there's also when you take the the science out of it a little just in terms of your confidence level so let's say in a given week there's just a couple of spots that i have really high confidence levels in well maybe yeah one one way to go about that is i could max enter a tournament and just set the exposures, you know, ramp up the exposures for the spots I feel really good about. But sometimes if there's a few scenarios that I feel really good about, like maybe I like like a contrarian running back in one game and then uh, a, a three-man quarterback running back wide receiver stack in another game and I like another tight end, I might just, you know, make make a few of those lineups, put those in, you know, these, these smaller the smaller max entry GPPs at, at higher stakes and then, you know, go about, my my more uh max enter gpps in in another way or like you know just depending on the week again like tj said i think i do the same thing where it's just if there's if there's a lot of players in a given week then it it might lend itself more to spreading spreading them out a little more but if, if you really feel strongly about certain players or certain spots in a given week then you can condense it a little bit so um it's not it's never going to be an exact science it's always going to be in art, but they're definitely things that you should be thinking about. Like just because I know we talk about process a lot, but the thing about it is process changes. You just, you want to know the rules so you can know when to break the rules. And in terms of contest enter entry itself, I know, you know, there, you probably like it to be just one process the same every week, but I think it really does depend on the given week. And, and another thing I guess we haven't even talked about is overlay. 
And, you know, another good, uh, another, the upshot of knowing the value of all these different GPPs is that when you see overlay, which is essentially if a contest doesn't fill because GPP, uh, for those who may be unfamiliar, GPP stands for guaranteed prize pool, which means that regardless if the contest fills or not, the DFS site will be running that contest. So for example, if there's a 500 man contest and it only fills to 425 people, well, the, the site will still run and eat the, re- eat the rest of that, um, or eat the rest of the entry fees and still pay out the full prizes. So if you're sitting there on Sunday morning and you know the value of the different GPPs, if you see overlay on a really a GPP that you thought was really valuable, then what you could do is you can you can go and shift some things around, or you can maybe you even feel like you just want to put in a few more uh, dollars of your bankroll. No, that that's something to be careful with because you don't want to just start you know ramping up your money and play just because there's overlay but um you can also set a budget for that where okay i'm gonna put x amount of money in play in a given week maybe 10 percent, 15 percent. but then if there's overlay i have another you know three to five percent budget where i can then put that in or you can just go and switch the you know from from one tournament to another if you feel like the value is now better there because there's overlay so overlay is another important thing to check out and that's something you won't really get a handle on until right before contest lock so that really comes down it's not for everybody to search out overlay because you do want to be flexible you do want to be able to kind of react to any last minute news or anything like that um up to lineup lock but if you can if you have a good process and you kind of got your lineups organized and maybe you're using the spreadsheet so you can quickly mass edit or do whatever you got to do um it's it's a great tactic to be able to capitalize on overlay yeah well said uh i mean it's basically free money like there's a chance where you can basically get a a rake free contest so all the things we just talked about obviously that's uh fantastic value on your money and i just think that uh one final note that i want to make i think a lot of people uh whether they're choosing between a single entry or three max or a five max i think a lot of people tend to shy away from these smaller max entry games kind of out of uh, a fear of missing out because you're not going to, uh, you know, you have three or four players that you might really want exposure to, but you can't get them if you only enter a three max. The thing about these three max games, it's three max for everybody. So you don't have to, like, you don't need that 1% on guy. And also the fields are smaller. So you see so many lineups that just, you can afford a dud or two in those games. And on top of that, even if you are playing a contest where you can enter 150 lineups, 150 lineups isn't that many combinations. You're going to always feel like you're missing a combination. So I don't. I think that's. Um, I think that's a poor and maybe even lazy excuse for trying to decide which game you want to play. You're you're always going to feel like you can make a, another lineup. So I just wanted to mention that before we sign off. Yeah, that that was a a great point. You know, and 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 one final point: if you're going to enter, say, a three entry max. You know, TJ mentioned you don't need that 1% player, but if there is a low-owned player that you feel confident about, like maybe it's not a 1% player, but maybe it's a just a stud that's going overlooked because there's better studs on the menu and you know, this stud you expect them to be 5 to 7% owned. Well, you could enter them three times and you can have 100%. Mm-hmm. And if you have 100% of a guy and he goes off and the rest of the field has you know, five or seven, then you're in a really good spot just based off that one player. So there's a lot of ways to utilize that and um, definitely 
you guys should be thinking about all these different things. Um, rake, upside, payout structure, percent paid, what is the minimum cash, the number of max entries. Think about all those things and I promise you, you will see your ROI on your GPPs go up and it will have nothing to do with the picks you are making but of course to win the top prizes you still need to make good picks and that's why you should subscribe to 444.com's dfs subscription the price has dropped since the beginning of the year it is now 59 dollars. so check it out on 444.com 444.com dfs subscription we've been getting a ton of good feedback Every single week, people winning money, so check it out. And again, sign up for the 4 for 4 DFS DraftKings Championship Qualifier. Go to the DFS drop-down menu on the top of the 444.com homepage, and you will see a link where you can enter a qualifier for the Week 15 final. TJ, a quick word about Roster Coach before we get out of here? Yeah, Roster Coach is a site that I founded this year where we're Basically, kind of showing you everything we just talked about the theory segment, showing you how to go through all of our week-to-week processes uh, with things like looking for value in, in tournaments. So uh, you really get a chance to just look over our shoulder every week and see exactly what we're doing and how uh, we're going about our DFS process. And all of our coaches, including Chris and myself, are available for one-on-one DFS coaching, which is a really great way to expedite your learning experience, whether you're uh, trying to really nail down every single process and just get a a little more insight on it, or if you're just behind on your research in a given week and need some help Saturday night, we're available for all of those things. So be sure to hit us up on rostercoach.com. Yes, check it out, rostercoach.com. Fantastic site. Be sure to follow TJ Hernandez on Twitter, at TJ Hernandez, and Follow myself as well on Twitter at Chris Raybon. That's R-A-Y-B-O-N. We want to thank you guys a ton for tuning in, listening every week, and giving us all of the positive feedback. If you like the podcast, please take a moment and subscribe on iTunes or the podcast app of your choice. Any last words, Mr. Hernandez? Just grinding this shmoney. Let's get this shmoney. Yo. Yo, I go by the name I'm of Pharrell from the Neptunes, and I just want to let y'all know, I'm your push the world is about to feel something that they never felt before, come on. Ghetto to ghetto, the backyard to yard, I sell it with one whip, it's off the hard, I'm the neighborhood pusher, call me subwoofer, cause I pump bass like that jack, on the off the track, I'm heavy cuz, ball to your fathers, you can duck to the Fetty Gov, sorry my love, but I'm seeing through these eyes, Benz convoys with the wagon on the side, only big boys keep deuces on the ride, Gucci Chuck Taylor with the wagon on the side, man, I make a buck while I scram, I'm trying to show y'all who the fuck I am. Jews is flirting, be damned if I'm hurting. Legend in two games like my Pee Wee Kirkland. Platinum on the block with consistent hits. While Pharrell keep talking this music.
the baker's man. I bake them cakes as fast as I can. And you can tell by how my bread stack up. Then the skies it is wrapped so the feds back up. Watch it like my whip, like my chick topless. Doing a buck six with me in the cockpit. Grinding cousin, I got four dozen. Even eleven five. If I see you keep it coming in my weight, that's just as heavy as my name. So much dough, I can't swear I won't change. Excuse me if my wealth got me full of myself. Cocky something that I just can't help. Especially when them 20s are spinning like windmills. And the ice 32 below minus the wind chill. Filthy the word that best defines me. I'm just blinding, man. Y'all never mind me. Better stay in line with it. See it like me shining. Right. 